Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Uh, we're going to talk straight from scripture. Jesus said, provide for yourself purses. So we need to talk about Prada. Uh, there's a Prada store in the middle. I think I have a picture of it here. There's a Prada store in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere in Texas. It's called Prada Marfa. Maybe you've heard about it. Now, the difference uh, between this Prada and all the other Prada boutiques on Michigan Ave or in Beverly Hills is that this Prada store is not a functioning store, as you can probably tell. It's an art exhibit. It's an art installation. It was created in 2005 by some Berlin-based artists, and Prada Marfa stands in great contrast to its surroundings. Luxury bags and designer shoes sit on display against a backdrop of the barren desert. And like any good piece of art, the meaning of Prada Marfa isn't exactly obvious. It's, it's left open to your interpretation. The original intent of the artist, though, was for this installation to be just exposed to the elements, right, of the desert, the wind, the, the storms, the sand, the dirt, until it quietly eroded back into the desert landscape and eventually disappeared, right? It was just gonna be exposed and slowly, I mean, there's like 130 people that live in the closest town, which is, is miles away. It's in the middle of nowhere. But thanks to visits from celebrities like Beyonce and appearances on TV shows like The Simpsons, um, it's gained a huge following on social media and amongst the art community. So Prada Marfa has developed a life far beyond what the artists ever intended. Nonetheless, over time, Prada Marfa will eventually decay. It will eventually return to the dust of its desert landscape. And I think this picture of this boutique store just decaying into nothingness is such a beautiful picture of consumerism. It really exposes the meaninglessness of materialism and consumerism in our culture. Thousands and thousands of dollars that many of us spend or our world spends on clothing, shoes, bags, and for what? Eventually, it will all decay into nothingness or will hide in the back of our closet until we forget we even have it. This Prada store in the middle of a barren desert exposes how so many of us have put our treasure in the wrong place. Maybe this is what Jesus was getting at, right? When he says to store up treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no moth comes near to destroy. Are we like Prada Marfa, putting our treasure in things that will ultimately decay? Or will we learn to put our treasure somewhere that can never be stolen or destroyed? When we look at the words of Jesus that Aaron just read for us, I think we can see a few powerful ways to move from empty consumerism to a life of peace and contentment. Let's look back at the passage that we just read, uh, starting in verse 22. Jesus begins by saying, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Before we go any further, I want to teach you a, a super cheesy Bible reading tip that I learned in Bible school, but I'm going to pass this on to you for free. It's actually pretty helpful. 
whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to ask why, what is therefore, therefore, right? You have to look at that word therefore and then say, okay, he must have, the, the writer of this passage must have said something before that he wants us to know because he says, therefore, you have to look at the context that's setting up the therefore. What is therefore, therefore? So I won't read all of it, but in in the passage immediately before what we just read, Jesus is interacting with a man and he was approached and asked a question about his inheritance, right? This man asked Jesus about his money. And Jesus replies as he so often does, not with a direct answer to the man's question, but he tells a story. Jesus tells the parable of a rich man whose ground yielded such an abundant harvest that he didn't have anywhere to store all of his crops, right? The man had so much stuff that he actually tore down his barns and his storehouses and built bigger ones to store all of the surplus. Then, because he's stored up so much, he tells himself, hey, I'm just gonna take the rest of my life easy. I've got food to last as long as I need to. I'm gonna eat, drink, and be merry. It seems pretty good, right? Retiring early. But most of us aren't farmers, so we might not fully grasp what, what this would be like in our day and age. So maybe a more modern example would be someone who bought up a whole bunch of Bitcoin back in 2011 when it was three or four bucks a Bitcoin, and then in 2021 when it was at its peak, sold them for 65 grand each. They'd have quite an excess, and they'd retire early and live off of all their Bitcoin bounty, right? This rich man has so much that he doesn't even know where to put it all. He has to tear down his barns and build new ones. And the parable ends like this. God, God enters the scene and says to the man, says this, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Essentially, Jesus is saying with this story, look, life is short. Everything can be taken from you at any moment. Why do you need all this stuff or all this money? Especially in that culture of the ancient Near East at that time, the, the rich were, it was much more common and much more expected for the rich to give away their excess because the poor had no other way to get food. There were no government assistance programs or ways for the poor to get food if the rich didn't share what they had. So. We may not know what it's like to be a farmer who has all this excess crop. And we may not know what it's like to hit the jackpot with Bitcoin. If you have though, let us know, because we are now accepting our offering in cryptocurrency. Um, so that's a new thing we're doing here. But, but seriously, even if we're not crazy rich like these examples, many of us have adopted the same mindset as this rich man. Our culture has trained us to save up as much as possible so that eventually we can retire, maybe even retire early. We're all looking for ways to find passive income so that we can spend less time working and more time enjoying our lives. Not only that, but for the most part, our society directly contradicts Jesus's teachings about greed and possessions. When the rich man asked Jesus, 
about his inheritance. These are the exact words of Jesus. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Now, we may not think that we find our life from an abundance of possessions, and yet look at how full many of our homes are, right? We're obsessed with shows like The Home Edit or Marie Kondo's Tidying Up because our lives are so cluttered. Deep down, I think we all know that the clutter of our lives does not add to the meaning of our life, it actually subtracts from it. So this parable about this rich man is the context for Jesus telling the disciples not to worry. His logic goes like this, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, therefore, do not worry about your life. You see, this man thought that hoarding up his money and his possessions would set him up for an easy and abundant life. But Jesus wants the disciples to see and us to see that real abundant life is not found in excess money or possessions, but in the kingdom of God. Real abundant life is not found in excess money or possessions, but in the kingdom of God. That's the context that Jesus uses to set up this, this conversation. So let's pick back up with our passage in verses 22 and 23. Jesus says to the disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Is Jesus saying that food and clothing don't matter? What about all the people in our world, or even in that day and age, who are hungry, who don't know where their next meal is coming from? Is Jesus really telling them, don't worry about it, it'll all work out, even if you don't know where your next meal's coming from? Is Jesus telling people who only have one outfit of clothing and don't have any clean clothes to, worry, to wear, don't worry about it, you'll be fine. Just let your clothing sort of decay and, and you'll be fine. Is that what Jesus is saying here? Absolutely not. He's not instructing people to ignore their everyday needs that we all face for food, shelter, and clothing. That's why the context is so important because we see Jesus is addressing people who have made the necessities of life less about what they were originally intended for and more about elevating these superficial things to find meaning in life where there really isn't much meaning. Right? Simply put, Jesus is speaking to people who have begun to find the meaning of their lives in food, clothes, money, possessions, rather than in relationships or in generosity or in serving their neighbors or loving one another, right? Like Prada Marfa, they've begun to put their treasure and their heart in the wrong place. So when Jesus talks about worry, he's not talking about just meeting our basic everyday needs for survival. He's addressing the deeper issues that lie underneath an obsession with food, clothing, or wealth. In his commentary on the Gospel of Luke, R.T. France makes it really clear what Jesus is talking about. He says that the kind of worry Jesus is discussing here is not about a proper responsibility in ensuring provision. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a distracting anxiety that closes the mind to higher concerns. That is what Jesus wants to get at 
in this teaching about worry, that distracting anxiety that closes our mind to higher concerns. And so to do so, Jesus picks two very obvious basic necessities, something that we all have, food and clothing. And he frames his discussion about worry around those two things. He wants us to see throughout the history and throughout culture, how easy it is to take basic things and allow them to become catalysts for stress and unhappiness. So I wanna look at quickly the two examples that Jesus gives and consider what they might mean for us today. The first example that Jesus gives is about food, food. Jesus begins by instructing the disciples not to worry about what they will eat. He uses this example uh, in verse 24. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? So in this example, Jesus is very clearly referring to that parable that he told just a few moments ago. The rich fool hoarded up so many crops that he had to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. But ravens, they don't need barns. They can't even grow their own food. Yet God feeds them. Do you see the contrast? And notice, Jesus continues to drill down the exact way in which the people were worried about their food. They worried about what to do with their excess. They weren't worried about where their next meal would come from. They were worried about where to put all the extra. So while the surface level worry may seem to be about food, deep down it's really greed that is causing them to worry about their barns and where to store their extra. So I think Jesus is really getting to the deeper thing here, the heart of the issue, if you will. They find so much meaning in their excess. They think that they will find true life there. They've believed the lie that they will be happy when they just have enough. They think it will give them true life. But Jesus constantly brings the conversation back to what abundant life is really about. Listen to this refrain that Jesus sings. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life is more than food. Worrying doesn't add a single hour to your life. Why spend so much time worrying? It won't do you any good. In fact, Jesus actually shows us that the exact opposite is true. At the time, Jesus must have known what we have only recently learned through scientific research. There's a recent um, study done by the Finnish Institute for Health and welfare, which shows that worry doesn't add time to your life, it actually subtracts it. People under great stress or worry actually have a shortened lifespan because of it. Jesus knew worry wouldn't add time to your life, it would subtract it. And I think Jesus was wise to use food for this first example because like I said, this is such a basic human need. We will all have it. It transcends history, it transcends culture. In his day and age, the worry may have been more about where to store your excess food. But today, I think we face a similar inclination to worry about food. Think about it, right? 
Maybe you're visiting or you live here in this amazing city of Chicago. Food is about way more than just survival. Food is about experience. Food is about pleasure, about trying that new restaurant that everyone is talking about, about getting that hard to find donut from the donut vault and posting a photo of it, right? It's about that night out with friends at that trendy cocktail spot, or if it's more your speed, your local dive bar, pick your poison. But food is about way more than survival. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I totally get that. I love food. Um, I love trying new restaurants. It's, it's such a part of me. And actually, I've, I've experienced this type of worry and anxiety in relation to food. When I have friends or family or I, or I want to go find a new restaurant, I spend hours reading about the best new restaurants in Chicago, right? I'm constantly checking my Resi app to see if I can snag a table that would impress even the best foodies. That is worry. Not just, oh, where should I go to eat? Okay, I pick a place, done. It's hours consuming. How can I impress them? How can I find the right place? Oh, we need to try this dish. I may not be worried specifically about where my food will come from, but I'm worried about everything that food represents. That kind of worry is deeper than just overthinking. It's a worry that exposes an unhealthy attachment in our lives. Maybe it's an unhealthy attachment to overindulgence or to new experiences or to worrying about how people see me or trying to impress them, right? Whatever it is, this kind of worry causes us to be distracted from what really matters in life. Now, the second example that Jesus chooses is about clothing, all right? He says, don't worry about your body, what you will wear. The body is more than clothes. And here's how Jesus illustrates this one. In verse 27, consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? So Jesus picks another basic necessity of life, right? And he shows how it can be elevated to a dangerous level. This isn't just our surface level need to have clothing. This is something we all face. Jesus is showing something much deeper that underlies the worry about clothing. And deep down, I think we could translate this to our culture. This is all about image management, right? image management. Our world is obsessed with how we look, from clothing to jewelry to makeup to showing off muscle or getting Botox or plastic surgery. In our culture, clothing is about so much more than just covering our skin or keeping warm. It's about image. It's about how others perceive us. Do you ever have that moment where you're just hanging out at home in you know, your comfy clothes, the old baggy t-shirt, some sweatpants or shorts in the summer, and then you have to go to an event or go out with friends and you gotta put on real clothes, you know, those appropriate clothes that you can wear out of the house. That's the worst. That's one thing I miss about lockdown is just wearing comfy clothes all the time. And you know, in those Zoom meetings, it started with like a button-up shirt up here and shorts, and then eventually it was just hoodies and sweatpants all the time. 
But I think that shows that we do care how people perceive us. And to a certain extent, that's okay, you know, but when we begin to put so much time and energy and care into how we look, into our image, that's when it becomes a problem. We begin to do what Jesus says in verse 29. We begin to set our hearts on food or clothing. Now, this kind of worry, it doesn't just apply to food or experiences. It doesn't just apply to clothing, right, or how people see us. This kind of worry can happen when any simple necessity of life is elevated too highly. Think about it. A simple need for shelter can easily become an obsession with buying my dream home or furnishing my apartment perfectly. A simple need for intimacy can become an endless lusting after romantic experiences or sexual encounters, right? A simple need for financial income can devolve into a preoccupation with the stock market and a crippling sense of careerism. When we uncover the things that we are deeply, truly worried about. We catch a glimpse of our own hearts. We see what really matters to us at a deep level. And another word for this kind of heart-level worry is idolatry. It's idolatry. It's worshiping something as if it had the utmost value, the utmost importance in my life. And Jesus was right. Whatever we idolize, even though we think it will give us life and meaning, will actually leave us empty. I love this quote from the psychiatrist Jeffrey Satinover. It's really good. Idols ask for more and more while giving less and less until eventually they demand everything and give nothing. Worrying about money, possessions, power, food, clothing, or anything else will not bring us abundant life, but in reality, it will leave us with nothing. So what are we supposed to do? Doesn't Jesus know how unhelpful and really insensitive it is to go up to someone who's struggling with worry and just say, don't worry, don't worry, it'll all be okay. Have you ever tried that? It doesn't work, if we're honest, right? We can't just try not to worry. We need to be formed to be people from the inside out who can live in peace and contentment in our, our worrisome world, right? We live in a world of, of worry. So thankfully, Jesus has more to say about this than just don't worry, okay? We're going to return to our passage, uh, verses 29 to 32. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So to Jesus, it seems like the antidote to a life of worry is the kingdom of God. For Jesus, the antidote to a life of worry is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the place where what God wants done is done. It's where the last will be first and the first will be last. The kingdom is this present and future reality, this, this thing that's already here and yet not fully here, where God's rule and reign collides with humanity. And in God's kingdom, we don't have to worry. In God's kingdom, there is more than enough 
for everyone. We don't have to impress our friends with extravagant meals. God will do that. We don't have to worry about our image or what clothing we will wear because God is transforming us into his image, the image that we were always created to be. The Apostle Paul says it so simply in Romans 14, 17. He says this, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, whenever we discuss the kingdom of God, it's incredibly important to to just acknowledge what exactly we're talking about. The kingdom of God should influence our, our public life, but the kingdom of God does not align completely with any political party. Jesus came into the world as a king, as a ruler, to establish a kingdom, but his kingdom is not like those of this world. The kingdoms of this world rule through violence, force, coercion, and they typically benefit those with the most power. Jesus, on the other hand, turns this kind of rule upside down through selfless love, which prioritizes the marginalized, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. And Christians are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God. And we are called to live out the values of Jesus wherever God has placed us. This means caring for the poor, seeking justice for the oppressed, and walking in humility with God. And in doing so, we can show the world, we can show our neighbors that there is a more beautiful and more peaceful way to live than what is offered by the kingdoms of this world. So in our polarized nation, and we know our nation is very polarized right now, it seems like every issue is reduced down to an extreme on one side or an equally extreme on the opposite side. But in the kingdom of God, we're offered a third way, not the extremes of either side, but a way of humility, a way of justice, and a way of peace. So I just want to name, with everything that's going on in our country right now, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, with gun laws being presented to the Senate and to the president, and so much more going on in our world, there's a lot to process. And I just want to have a pastoral moment with you all and just say we are here to process with you. We're not here to give easy answers to very complex questions, but as you're processing and discerning how to respond and engage with the complexities of our world, we want you to know that we are here for you. The pastors, staff, elders, deacons of Missio Day are here for you, and we would love to process with you. If you would like to reach out, I've I've asked all the elders, we're, we're here um, to process with you, so don't hesitate. And I want to encourage you, if, I'm, if I may, to put on the heart of Christ as you dialogue and as you consider these topics and these issues with family and friends. These are difficult issues, so I just want to encourage you, don't shy away from tough conversations, but engage with humility, with grace, and with ultimately a kingdom perspective. That's why I'm saying this now as we talk about the kingdom of God. In our divided and hurting world, let's do the hard work. Let's do the hard work of seeking unity and peace as we follow the way of Jesus together. Amen? 
But here's another uh, beautiful thing about the kingdom of God. Even though the kingdom is, is still coming in its fullness, we can live in the kingdom of God here and now. This is what Jesus is talking about when he invites us into abundant and eternal life. Not something that begins when we die, but eternity here and now. Can you imagine yourself living out Jesus's own words that he prayed in his most famous prayer that God's kingdom would come and God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. How would you spend your time if you were living out that prayer? What kinds of things would you set your heart and your mind and your energy? Learning to live with Jesus in the kingdom of God is the most important part of our entire lives. Dallas Willard, the uh, philosopher, and he was a professor and writer for many years, he puts it this way. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. That's a bold claim from Dallas Willard, that that's the greatest issue facing our world today is whether Christians will actually become apprentices, students of the master teacher. But I think he's right. I think if we really devote our lives to that, we can begin to embody selfless love, peace, contentment, and joy-filled lives in the midst of an anxious world. So if the kingdom of God is this antidote to worry, then what does it look like to actually live in the kingdom of God? There's a lot that could be said. This could be uh, an entire year-long sermon series. But I just want to close our time um, returning to our passage and just looking at two practices from the life of Jesus that I think can function as an antidote to worry and that can help us become people who live in the kingdom of God in our everyday lives. So two practices as we begin to close. The first is generosity. Generosity. I love how Jesus ends this passage and he kind of brings it full circle from what he was teaching in the beginning, right? In the parable, he was wisely teaching that greed leads to emptiness and true life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. So then at the end of our passage, Jesus gives a really clear instruction for how to live that out. In verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Jesus knows, and this is very counterintuitive to how our logical brains tend to work, right? But Jesus knows that even though generosity seems counterintuitive to people who are worried about money, the odds are actually quite high that we will actually feel more free and more alive if we give away our excess possessions than if we go rent out another storage unit and keep hoarding them. It turns out that we will worry a lot less about what we will eat when we focus on feeding our neighbors who are hungry, right? And do we really care about staying on top of the latest fashion trends while our closets are bursting at the seams and there's people in our city who don't even have clean clothing, right? Generosity to those in need is one of the easiest and most powerful ways to live the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Like Dallas Willard says, it teaches us to set our heart on treasures that will never fail rather than on fleeting things like food 
and clothing. So the second practice, that's, that's the first one, generosity. Again, so much could be said about that. Um, but the second practice from the way of Jesus is gratitude. Gratitude can function as an antidote to worry. Being grateful for what really matters, not our money or possessions, but the things that really bring meaning to our lives, our relationships, our, our, our serving our neighbors, God's presence in our lives. These sorts of things are so powerful, and they help us recenter our hearts on what really matters. I love the simplicity of how this passage ends from Jesus, this quote that is, is so well known throughout time, throughout cultures, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where have we placed our treasure? On what do we set our heart? Adele Calhoun, who's written a number of books about spiritual practices, um, she wrote one called Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, which I highly recommend. It just goes through a, a number of spiritual disciplines and how they can transform us from the inside out. But I was reading her, her guide to gratitude, and this simple quote was so profound. She says, we each have the power to interpret the facts of our lives. We make the choices that turn us into bitter or grateful people. We make the choices that turn us into bitter or grateful people. So we can choose to set our hearts on the kingdom of God through practices like gratitude. And I believe those practices will transform us from people consumed by worry to people of peace and contentment. So to close, um, I just want to just kind of recap what I, what I was just speaking on that I think Jesus was inviting us into. Jesus says real abundant life is not found in money or possessions, but in the kingdom of God. And though we are surrounded by a world of worry, Jesus invites us to seek first his kingdom, his kingdom of peace and joy through practices like generosity and gratitude. And there's so many more. Um, and as we do that, the Holy Spirit will empower us to put our treasure and our hearts not in the middle of the Texas desert like Prada Marfa, but where it really matters, in places that will never fail and never be destroyed. Now let's close in prayer. God, this is, uh, this is not an easy thing. We can't simply just try harder not to worry. We need your Holy Spirit. We need practices like generosity, like gratitude, and so many others that transform us into people of peace and contentment people who have our hearts set on what really matters. So Lord, if there's something that's standing out to us this morning, help us to internalize it. Help us to not just hear it and then walk away, but to internalize what you're saying, what you're speaking, and to begin to put it into practice, to begin to, to live it out so that what we hear um, in these walls can, can expand beyond these walls into our own lives, into our neighborhoods, into our city, um, and even into our world. Uh, we need you. We need your power for this to even be possible. So we open ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.